Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with TMC back with the rundown with Robin Rich. We just started broadcasting live. We'll go ahead and get started momentarily. Do you, What's that say? You, Myrtle's, Myrtle's Lounge? Myrtle's something lounge? Myrtle's Ultra Lounge. Ultra Lounge. How old is Myrtle? She's a. Uh... She's about nine, nine, nine. or ten. That's uh, that's drinking age in in cat years. Is it cat years like dog years? Seven, I think seven so. multiple. Yeah, <clears throat> I know. I, I was expecting that you would have your Christmas lights still up, and I'd have to compete with that. <laughs> I took them. Down. I was telling my girlfriend. I had, I'm like Rob will make fun of me so bad if I still have them up. So I made the few hours a couple nights ago to, to take them down so do you feel a letdown at the end of a college football season uh, yeah yeah absolutely I, I you know it, it's more when my team gets eliminated um in, like in I, late october <laughs> well yeah <laughs> the buckeyes typically are are in it till the end but uh the browns yeah mid-october early october sometimes but I am excited for the NFL playoffs this weekend. So even without a dog in the fight. So <clears throat> all right. Happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here with the rundown with Robin Rich, where we take you into the weekend by running through all the latest news, rumors, speculation in the mortgage industry. And uh, as always, pleased to be joined by my friend, Rob Grisman. Rob, good to see you. Good to see you too. Excellent. And uh, as always, encourage uh, audience participation in the show. Any thoughts, comments, jokes, anything relevant, uh, throw it in the chat of the Q&A. And uh, if it's worthy, we'll, we'll incorporate it. And uh, maybe on this opening topic here, because Rob, I want to start by just talking about the year we have in front of us. And you look at the projections for this year, all the Fannie, Freddie, MBA, they're predicting about a 33% drop off in total production. Um, but that is incumbent upon. Rich, rich, rich. Mm-hmm. I, I got to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Look at that scowl. Don't scowl. <laughs> I got to interrupt because we have this, we have this breaking news, Rich, that, that we'll probably, we'll probably be the first ones to mention this to many of the folks on the call. All right. Bre- break the news. Well, when you talk about, uh, and you and you mentioned it before we went live that we haven't had a big uh, headline grabbing fraud case mm-hmm. for quite some time. I think a lot of lenders have been have beefed up their compliance departments, fortunately beefed up their QC and fraud is an issue, but not something that grabs the headlines. Um, but just just this morning, Marilyn Mosby out of the, the Baltimore, uh, the Baltimore Attorney General indicted or found guilty, I forget which one it is, of, of perjury on a mortgage application. You know, if you're if you're working in Baltimore, can your primary residence be in Florida? Or should it be in Baltimore or Maryland? So I think I think this could be a very interesting case to follow. I think the especially when a government official, you know, and, and so many regulators and government officials are are examining our mortgage business and here you have one of their own who did she did she plead innocent or guilty or something i haven't really followed the case that much but i believe that she's in hot water 
uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's all we need is headlines about mortgage fraud. Because honestly, fraud, because of lenders beefing up their compliance and some of the, I think more so technology, a lot of great tech that prevents a lot of fraud that just wasn't in place, you know, when we had many more headlines about fraud. But yeah, that was my first reaction upon just seeing it was, oh no, like, you know, the CFPB is probably in a closed door meeting right now. Uh, right. You know, like- <laughs> yeah, it's it's obviously not a good topic. I remember when many, many years ago, probably 10 or 12 years ago, when I was just kind of getting going right in the daily commentary and somebody, a loan officer contacted me and said, hey, would you like to write a, a weekly piece for me? You know, I'll pay you $150. And I was like, wow, 150 bucks. Yeah. So uh, I would write for him. And then at one point I wrote about mortgage fraud and he wrote back and he said, don't ever write about fraud in my piece because I don't want some Google search when somebody types in mortgage fraud. I don't want my name even even near near that topic. So, yeah, it's it's not it's not good news. And uh, yeah, one of our uh, attendees at Kramer uh, put in the chat, uh, maybe Amy, if you could cut and paste that for uh, all attendees to see what he put in there. The, the story about Marilyn Mosley and um, The Wire, maybe could, new season of The Wire. Did you watch The Wire, Rob, on uh, HBO? Great old show about Baltimore crime. And, you mean The, you know, the Wire? Wire. Mm-hmm. The Wire. Yeah, I've, I've heard I should watch it. I've heard I've, I probably may have friends. Anybody that's not seen The Wire, it is definitely one of those go back and binge it. Incredible show. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm grappling with uh, watching Kevin Costner talk like he has marbles in his mouth at, in uh, Yellowstone. That's so funny. I'm I'm I start started binging it like two weeks ago. I'm like just got into the final fourth season. I am enjoying it. Yeah. So. You should get Beth on the show, Rich. She'd uh, teach you a thing or two. Beth is an intense character. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you were asking about predictions for 2022. I think folks on the call here are seeing the same thing you and I are seeing. You know, there's there's a lot of talk of, of rates creeping up. Certainly, the the Federal Reserve has made its intentions clear. The right now they are battling back from being behind the uh, inflation curveball. So, to some extent. So they're expected to taper, finish tapering the month after next, at which point the question is, are they going to have three short-term rate increases or four short-term rate increases? Uh, it'll it'll depend on the pandemic, of course, as, as so much does, unfortunately. But the economy is doing relatively well, given the pandemic. And people are out there spending, although retail sales came in this morning pretty weak. But still, when you go to the airport parking lot, the airport parking lots are full. People want to dine out if they can, if the, if the restaurant has the wait staff to accommodate them. So I think the economy could be doing better. Uh, the unemployment rate is relatively low, but we're still dealing with, with the big quit, as they say. And, and I just wonder what some of these folks are doing after they quit their jobs. But yeah, I think I think the predictions are pretty spot on. You know, we're going to see a decline in volume. Margins will shrink a little bit. We'll continue to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions. I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you here, Rich. Kind of like you usually throw at me, but you know, with uh, the the problem is that a lot of the small mortgage banker owners, 
you know, when they should have sold, they didn't. And if, if things get tight later this year and they want to sell, the buyers may not be there as much as they were, say, six months ago. So, you know, it's a cyclical business, right? I'll qualify this by saying I really hope I'm wrong because I run an organization of mostly small and medium-sized mortgage lenders, but it, it just feels like it's going to be a worse year for the industry as in total originations than than what most people are predicting. Uh, you know, you look at the project, most of the projections are down a third, but that is based off, again, pick your projection, but about an 8% increase in purchase business. And uh, just look at some of the stuff out there, forgetting rates right now, which are three and a half percent, the highest they've been at least three and a half percent and in a long time. And what that does to already, you know, weak affordability factor, but, like Redfin came out this morning, they do their uh, mortgage market index thing. And this is the four week period ending Jan 9. So it's very fresh data. New listings year over year down 11%. This is from last January, which was far from some robust purchase market. And their home buyer demand index, which incorporates a lot of different factors related to home buyer demand up 22% year over year. So you got listings down 11%. You got demand up 22%. You got interest rates now in the mid to high threes, which is impinging upon affordability. You have a lot of people that have taken new jobs that maybe can't qualify for a conventional mortgage because they don't have the employment history. And that same four-week period, 41% of homes sold for over list price. So, you know, and, and then refis, the projections still can't call for a third of volume next year to be refi. And again, I'm having a hard time getting there with how many people in the twos. And I think the fact that we'll still have a decent amount of refi next year is bolstered by most people's belief that there'll be a lot of cash up. But what I've seen starting to develop these last few weeks is I'm starting to see a secondary market develop for home equity loans, which never has really ever existed, um, at least not the last 20 years. I'm talking about standalone home equities, and I'm not talking about like the ones that took down the late great national city bank here in Cleveland, where they were buying them to like 120% and went from being an $80 a share bank to selling the PNC for $1.20. I'm talking about a regular home equity loan. Like you have a home and you have 40% equity and you want to take it to like 80 with the home equity line. So I think that is, I think you're going to see more people than you think leave their first mortgage alone and either go get a home equity loan through their bank and leave the first alone or some of these emerging options I'm starting to see in the secondary market. Absolutely. <clears throat> I don't know what to talk about first, Rich. You, you opened up the, the Nat City issue. Nat City is, is one of the examples that I give people when they ask me, gee, I, I really like my company. Should I put my retirement plan all invested in my company? And I say, no, diversify. So, that's a great example because I run into people who had all their, their retirement plan in you know, Washington Mutual or Nat City or Countrywide or whatever it might be, Bear Stearns, whatever. So that aside, yeah, I think where there's a demand, where there's a need and de demand, people will, will come up with a product for it. And there are investors who are out there searching for yield. If you look at the, the typical 30-year mortgage, do you want to tie up your money? And, and I know I'm getting really simplifying things here quite a bit from a secondary marketing perspective, but 
if you have a three and a half percent mortgage and it's going into a 3% security, do you want to invest in a 3% security, which in theory could be on your books for years and years and years and years and years in a 7% inflation rate market? The answer is probably no. And so you have investors out there that are searching for yield. And you're right. There are millions of people out there, thanks to the people on this call, who have rates, you know, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths, whatever they are, in the twos. And if they start looking at, you know, rates in the three, mid threes or high threes, there's going to be some sticker shock. And so I think the companies that can offer them an alternative, I think will be, you know, ahead in the race for 2022 and going forward, because there is a lot of equity out there. The question is, how do you tap into it if you need to tap into it? And, and along those lines, Rich, you bring up a good point. If I am kind of on the fence about selling my house and I have a two and five eighths, 30 year fixed mortgage, hmm, you know, I'm going to be probably a little more hesitant about moving. So there's all kinds of things at play here that are interesting that uh, as the year unfolds, I think will be, will be fascinating. And Guy Schwartz raised a good issue on the, uh, in the chat box about, you know, isn't it time we put an end to forbearance? I think uh, when, you, when politics enter into it, you know, I don't know if the administration is ready to end forbearance necessarily. So that's another, that's another wild card guy. Yeah, just because of the headlines it would make, even though you're right, we are. I mean, you get to another news from this week, delinquencies are at pre-pandemic levels. I mean, when they were already incredibly low. So delinquency rates on mortgages in America are dropping like a rock and at their lowest levels, lower than pre-pandemic, again, when they were when they were really low. So yeah, another good point. But I, I yeah, I think, I just think, you're on a 30-year fixed rate in the twos and you need to take cash out of your home. Refinancing that into 4%, three and three quarter percent, when like Black Knight, their index on, you know, all this big, huge servicing book, they put out that uh, analysis monthly. I, I think the last time I read it, like the average American homeowner has like, it's like 41 or 42% equity. So, um, you know, you could take the, the home equity line, you don't touch the first, and you borrow the money as you need it for whatever you want to do on your timeline when you want to do it. And I think a lot of these people that, you know, I saw another report this morning, it was a lending tree survey. It said 40% of people plan to, that they surveyed, thousands of people they surveyed, 40% plan to move in 2022. They're thinking about it. They're thinking about, about it. it. Right. The primary reason given was they wanted more space. Either, either um, that or they're living in their vans. And uh, <laughs> at some point they get right. kicked out of their state park parking lot. But then you look at the, you just look at what's going on with housing in America and there's no inventory. There's far more demand than supply. There's no leading indicators that indicate people are going to start listing their homes in droves. And, you know, I, and then, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, and then you have the lumber prices are now skyrocketing again, which is impacting new inventory. I just think you're gonna have a lot of people saying, "Screw it, I'm staying put. I'm, I'm building a wing or a room on my home." And, uh, but it's bad. That's bad for the mortgage industry. Is you know, Rich a Amy warned me before this call that you were going to be a real Debbie Downer uh, during the during the 
during the uh, presentation. Tr- you know, I'm I I'm bringing straight straight truth with no filter. You know, sometimes right. yeah, to- I don't I don't disagree with you at all. I don't think. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are some people who are going to disagree with you for parts of that. But the question is, what are lenders and what are originators doing about the scenario? If if we could uh, predict the future, and uh, I remember. <laughs> Not to pick on uh, Habib, but I will. I remember I was in some broker convention with him and in, in over the summer, and uh, he was talking about a one percent on the ten year uh, at the end of the year, one percent yield. And uh, you know, all the all the audience was lapping that up uh, quite a bit. So you have a situation where it's gone the other way. And if you were able to predict the future, if, if everything that you just mentioned was going to come true for sure with certainty, the question is, what are small and mid-sized and even large lenders doing about it? Are they throwing marketing money at it? Are they teaching loan officers how to sell to somebody who has you know, 40% equity and a two and three quarters mortgage? And what is that conversation like? Uh, renovation products. There are a lot of renovation products out there that uh, companies can use. There, there's cash out, there's HELOCs, there's seconds. There are things that good loan officers are going to avail themselves to. And, and I wrote an article this week about Consumer Direct. And a lot of those pure Consumer Direct companies are, you know, are focused on refis. And so what are they going to do? to ensure their survival? How are they going to react? How are they going to, what, what are they going to, where are they going to get their leads and so forth? So <clears throat> I don't really disagree too much with what you said. The question is, what are people going to do about it? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, rates rise, you have 30-year fixed rates at 4%, five one arm at two and three quarters is viable. You do the cash flow on a three, $400,000 house, the amount of money you save those first five years on two seven five versus 4%, but it's been a long time since loan originators have had to sell. And I'm not saying <laughs> they can, but it really has been just been selling 30 year fixed. It's do you want, you know, do you want steak or chicken, FHA or, or conventional? Um, you know, and, and now it's going to be a much different climate with a much larger breadth of products because the whole inflation thing, I mean, I think you you hit on it. It's starting to freak out the people that buy mortgage-backed securities because inflation eats away at the return of fixed assets. And it, it this, you know, oh, rates are going to slowly rise to 4% over the course of the year. Feels more like we're going to be in the high threes soon and be around 4% for a lot of this year. That could be a scenario that, uh, you know, barring some bad geopolitical or pandemic or environmental related issue that forces the Fed to untaper, if that's the right word. Um, it just it's starting to feel like a year that is going to be challenging one for the housing market. But uh, again, I hope I hope I'm wrong there. So <clears throat> I, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with you. And I, that I, that is partly based on my conversations with, you know, the smartest people I talk to. They are looking at this year and they're looking at, you know, projections of a 30, 33 percent drop off and saying, I, you know, most of them feel like they're going to grow to some extent, but you know, looking more broadly at the the total industry pie, feeling like it's going to be a bigger drop than that this year. So, but uh, we'll see what happens, and uh, we'll be chronicling it week by week. A uh, bunch of comments in the chat: renovation loans and 
talk about uh, GSEs increasing uh, property insurance waivers. Uh, that I wouldn't hold your breath on. Uh, G rate shuttering their broker channel. That's going to be. I think that. I think you're in the wholesale channel. You're going to see no margins. Uh, Increased regulatory scrutiny on wholesale loans with Rohit Chopra, CFPB, and just, you know, the biggest players, your boy Ishbia and Rock, they're all in this like pissing match and, you know, <laughs> like pricing at no margin to brag about their volume, even though they're public now. It, you know, the wholesale channel, that's going to be a tough one, I think, this year. It'll be, it'll be very tough. The, I remember when Chase and Wells got out of wholesale, a lot of people on the, on the call may remember why, why they got out. And in part, it was due to the fact that neither Chase nor Wells could tell the regulators with a straight face that they knew everything that was going on with their thousands of brokers, and they would stand behind the reps and warrants of, of their brokers. And they <clears throat> it became a, a logistical nightmare to be able to make sure that you knew what all your brokers were doing. And so they, they, that, that was one of the reasons they backed out of the business. You have the same situation now where you have inc increased regulator scrutiny in some of the things or all the things that lenders are doing. And if you're a wholesaler, and not to pick on United Wholesale, but, but United Wholesale, Freedom, uh, Rocket, Plaza, you know, a lot of the big wholesalers have thousands and thousands of brokers and can they guarantee to the CFPB or the state regulators that each and every one of those brokers has you know the correct font on their business card and their DBA is you know spelled out correctly and the the Facebook page or the Instagram page or whatever page you know brokers have these days is all copacetic I think it's I think it's very it's nearly impossible. And when you don't have the profits there in the production in order to beef up your compliance department and beef up your QC and put money aside for buybacks, then you're caught between a rock and a hard place. So what I've seen a lot of lenders do and a lot of larger companies, you know, there's one of the TMC members, Active Comply, is they have a system where they go in and monitor the you know, the, the compliance of, of loan officers for companies when they're scattered around the nation. And I think, I think they've seen their business take off. So you have a lot of wholesalers out there and lenders who are trying to use TMC vendor members in order to increase their efficiency and be compliant and, you know, try to be able to scale up and scale down. And have the, having the ability to do that, I think, will make a big difference this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've gone back and forth this week on email, mutual friend. It's got a three channel mortgage origination business. And he's saying like, man, like we're we're ratcheting this thing down to nothing because I see what's coming. And it uh, I mean, if I'd be if I ran a three channel uh, mortgage shop right now, I, I would be looking the same way at the, the wholesale side of things. And just uh, it's just there's there's the compliance risk, the volatility, the low margins, the psychopaths that run the biggest companies. It, it's just, there's too many variables right now, that line of the business. So it uh, be interesting to see what happens. And G-Rate, you know, you buy Stearns and they got a huge wholesale channel, right? When you originally make that purchase, I can't think that G-Rate was thinking we're going to shut down wholesale. And maybe they were thinking, we, you know, we'll ratchet it back or 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm being naive and that was their intent the whole time, but uh, to see them shut that thing down, I think said a lot about where we're at right now. So I think, I think the word back a year ago was that they bought Stearns for some of the, or a a large part because of Stearns joint venture Mm -hmm. relationships. And, and, but to your point, you know, wholesaler, the wholesale environment certainly isn't anywhere near where it was a year ago. And I, I continue to believe myself that, that brokers have a great community presence where they, where they have offices. You know, they have deep roots in the community. They've got the signs on the Little League uh, uh, outer, outfield fence. That, that's, that's the kind of uh, relationship that many brokers have with their communities. But, you know, if the whole market is, is operating on a razor-thin profit margin, you know, that's that's a t- that's just a tough situation. This is the rundown with Robin Rich. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Crisman. Got about ten minutes left in the show this week, Rob. A couple other things uh, of note in the news this week: uh, Redfin, the large uh, you know online real estate company, uh, buys Bay Equity. They're about a nine billion a year originator, based out of. I think California that uh, pretty good reputation as a shop and a lender. And uh, my opinion, that's probably a, a pretty smart move for them. They had started a mortgage company, Redfin Mortgage, um, that was doing, I think it was a little under a billion last year. Or so, and then big news was the Supreme Court ruling, uh, you know, the Supreme Court kind of nixing the vaccine mandate for uh, employers uh, with more than a hundred employees. I know a lot of our members were really watching this one closely you know, the general consensus being them kind of saying to me or us, like, you know, we got 300 employees, everybody's remote. I don't want to implement a vaccine mandate at my company because we'll just lose people. And quite frankly, there's no need for it because our entire staff is remote. and We intend to keep them largely remote. So that was a win for the mortgage industry. I was really worried. I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know enough to know how the Supreme Court was going to rule there, but that's one that would have had Pretty big impact for the mortgage industry and other industries, obviously, if it would have went the other way. Do you want to talk about vaccines or Bay Equity? Either. Either? Um, I like Bay Equity. I think it was a smart move. I I know those guys very well. In fact, Bay Equity gave my daughter her loan last year. Uh, And I I have close social ties with them. I think it was a very smart move on their part uh, because you're right. Redfin's mortgage business was floundering. I don't think it, I don't think, I don't know if it ever made money. And so why not let somebody do it who has the skill set in order to make money at it? And, you know, that's a lot, that's a potentially large referral base. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to, with regard to the vaccine, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm so sick of this pandemic, you know, two years. A lot of people feel that it's two years out of their lives and people are trying to get back together. Uh, you're going to be in Nashville. I'm going to, I'm going to be in Nashville. I think the NBA has over 700 people registered in Nashville. And just like last year, I think people enjoy the face-to-face contact. People want to get back. And, and you're right. I think, I think the Supreme court, uh, well, I'm sure there are people on the call who will disagree, but I think the Supreme court made it, made a good decision there. Couple things in the chat. Um, take a look at the number of IMBs today compared to three years ago. In most states, down by a third. In many states, per home to stat. So, reality 
biz is flowing to larger lenders, which means either comp- compete on price or personal service, the number of IMBs is going to continue to shrink. I, I, I think you're already starting to see it. Uh, the M&A side, I, I think, could be an unprecedented amount of uh, M&A this year. If you just look at how much mortgage lenders have made, the average age of your typical sole proprietor or partnership IMB owner. Like 78. <laughs> and then just, you know, the what, what the industry is looking like the next couple of years. Democrats, CFPB, and volume down. I, I think you're going to see a lot of M&A. Rob, you made a good point earlier. You know, like everybody, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people that want to sell right now, right? And yeah, uh, we're 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 in a changing landscape, Rich. And the only thing that never seems to change in mortgage banking is how much an independent mortgage banker thinks their company is worth, mm-hmm. right? It, it tends to be overstated, and and God bless them. Uh, they they put blood, sweat, and tears into this enterprise. But you're right. If you are, uh, you know, in your 50s or 60s or even 70s, and do you want to go through another cycle? Maybe you've got, you know, a billion, two billion, five billion of servicing saved up. And, you know, it's it's going to be, do, do I want to ride the bull in the rodeo uh, for a while longer? Or, you know, gee, uh, uh, you know, the Everglades are looking pretty good this time of year. <laughs> Another comment in the chat, uh, do you see joint ventures coming under more scrutiny again with the new CFP re- regime, similar to how Wells dropped them several years ago? I, to me, I think it just all matters on the resources that CFPB has. I think you're already seeing what they're going to be focused on first, um, all servicing related. I'm having trouble paying. Make sure you give borrowers all the options um, and then fair lending. You know, using the Humda data that lenders submit as the backbone of a lot of that, like where do I start? That is clearly where they're going to start on the mortgage side. They're overseeing more than just mortgage, payday lenders, other things as well. Uh, you know, eventually, and I don't know the resources of the CFPB, if they have more resources than they did under Cordray or less, my guess is the organization was thinned down during the Trump years um, and maybe they're building that back up. If they have the resources, uh, you know, my guess is that they'd look at marketing, again, going back to the core drain, how they attacked it, uh, more of a keen eye on like marketing services agreements that are nothing but, a, you know, a shell game, so to speak, um, as opposed to JVs that at least have a little bit more structure. Um, but I, if I had joint ventures, I certainly would be uh doing all my due diligence to make sure they were structured properly and compliant and uh, above and beyond. So I don't know, Rob, any thoughts on JVs, MSAs? No, I agree with you. When, when you talk to different attorneys uh, who represent mortgage bankers who or, or, or who are involved in mortgage banking, you end up with different opinions. And the best that lenders can do is, is go with the letter of the current law and have an attorney draft these agreements and so forth and so on. I think most of the egregious problems from, you know, six, eight, 10 years ago have been eliminated. And, you know, there's no such thing as a net branch, you know, call it what you want. That, that arrangement just doesn't work. But in terms of joint ventures, there's a lot of builders that own mortgage companies, a lot of builders or a lot of mortgage companies that own title companies. I mean, there's a lot of co-ownership. And joint ventures, I don't think just the name is against the law. The question is, do you do you set them up to your point with with legal help 
and and based on the letter of the law. And I think, uh, I think, yeah, I don't think I I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't see a problem there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be I'd be focused servicing side uh, primarily, and yeah, just knowing your your book of applications and your book of closed loans and how that relates to demographic stats and trends and areas you lend and a lot of good data and technology companies that are out there now that didn't exist back when I was still a lender that, that can help out a lot with those. So um, Rob, anything else uh, that in your inbox or of note before we wrap things up that, uh, that uh, you've seen top of mind with people? No, I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground on this call. Yeah. Who's uh, do we have a sponsor next Friday? We do. Snapdocs back in the house. So uh, yeah, looking forward to getting them in the mix. They are right at the center of the e-close thing. And uh, it feels like that is like you hear every year, like non-QM, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year. Uh, I think this is legitimately the year for e-close because lenders right now, you got the combination of they've made a lot of money the last couple of years. It's slow. So they have time and resources. And even if, you know, some or all the states, they do their primary amount of lending in, haven't adopted the remote online uh, notarization uh, laws. They're I just what I keep hearing is like we're we're just getting ready for it now because it's it's inevitable and we don't want to be holding the bag. So, but uh, I'll be interested to hear their take on developments they've seen with with all that. So very good, excellent, uh, Rob. Any weekend plans of note at uh, Myrtle's Ultra Lounge? There'll be a line, Rich, outside this door come five o'clock. A line. Um, of, uh, the uh, no, just just taking it easy, trying to trying to play some catch up and uh, do some laundry, maybe play some tennis. Okay. How about you? The NFL playoffs. I'll be watching some stuff, some stuff to do around the house. Uh, I turned forty five a couple of days ago, so I got the family coming over tomorrow for some uh, lasagna and. Uh, chicken cutlets and football. So, uh, staying alive at 45 and alive at 45. So, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Low key weekend, hopefully my investments in the NFL playoff games, uh, prove uh, fruitful. So good. Excellent for having me. Absolutely. Well, as always, enjoy the conversation and uh, thanks for doing it, Rob. And uh, thank you to all of our attendees. Uh, Great to see the audience continue to grow both live and uh, after the fact on YouTube. And if you don't subscribe to our podcast, immediately go to Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, That's the way most people listen to the show. Uh, So be sure to subscribe. We put a lot of good stuff out on podcasts, not only the rundown in the last week in mortgage, but a lot of the more relevant just TMC Connect topic specific stuff that uh, we do during during the course of the week so be sure to subscribe there and rich, uh, uh, rich don't, don't you edit out all the curse words on the podcast though i mean i'm i don't i don't think we're editing anything really i you know we're, you know we're not a big organization so it, it just goes just completely unfiltered right to write the podcast so very good All right. Uh, To our attendees, uh, until next weekend, we're here every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern with the rundown. And uh, Rob, have a great weekend and uh, shall talk to you before then. But I'll see you at the latest a week from now. There we go. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. 
For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.